0: Let's talk about mistakes, you make them, I make them. We're gonna see them happen in the life of Paul. Let me pray. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word this morning, to celebrate what you're doing in our church. Look forward to a great week with hundreds of children uh, here in our sanctuary uh, worship center. We're praying, God, for all those who stood that are serving, that you would give them patience and energy. Uh, and love for these kids, and that is, uh, you know, those who are teaching, teach. I pray that these kids' hearts would open to the good news of Jesus Christ like Travis was praying. I pray that we would be your vessel, your shining light in this community uh, to all ages so that people can know and follow you, Jesus. Uh, We want to ask you, God, to open our hearts to your word. The Holy Spirit, speak through me, Lord, today. Give us the things that you want to encourage us with as we make the mistakes that we make in life, and I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're talking about going from better uh, to worse today, and and, and we're talking about that because we're going to watch Paul make some mistakes. Uh, True or false? Mistakes happen? Yeah, mistakes happen. That'll show up. There it is. Mistakes totally happen in life. Uh, Turn to the person next to you if you came with them. Maybe if you don't know them, say hi. Uh, You knew that person. Anyway... uh, uh, but turn next to them, tell them what your, uh, your your top four mistakes were this week, or top two mistakes, or your top one mistake of the day. Just share with them one of your mistakes, and don't say, you know, getting up and coming here, you don't even know if it's going to turn out bad. <laughs> Go ahead, share a mistake that you've made. I'm hearing the giggles or there's some funny mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll share this one. I, I dropped my daughter off uh, at the airport on Wednesday. She's spending the summer uh, studying abroad, and so... I had to take her over to Orlando and parked in the, it's very confusing over there right now. All the parking garages are kind of squonk, but uh, I parked in this one parking garage and took a picture. Does anybody do this? You take a picture of where you're parking, you know, the, the section and all that stuff. So I took that picture. I felt pretty good about finding it on the way back out. Dropped her off, came back out, and was walking and, and doing my email at the same time. Is anybody a multitasker like that? Uh, no, Marty? We'll work on it. You can work on it. Anyway, uh, but i'm writing my emails and, and typing and i walked up to this truck and i put my key in the in the and I, you know it's not turning and I'm, I'm still trying to finish this email i'm still you know and then and then someone said behind me can i help you and i was like no i'm just trying to get in my truck and he says no you're trying to get in my truck <laughs> and i looked up same make and model same color just two rows over from where my truck was right And I was, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought it was my truck. (laughs) And then, you know, uh, walked over to where I was. A couple weeks ago, I was at uh, my life group, uh, and all the families that are a part of my life group brought all their kids. We don't have kids this age anymore, but everybody's got, like, kids in the... 10 and under range and so there's just tons of kids and there was this one little girl she was there with her mom and dad and um and she had she she was just meeting everybody for the first time eight or nine years old sweet little girl but you know little girls want to be near their parents when they're in some of these you know strange environments and so uh, I was standing there talking to her dad and she starts backing up into me right and anybody ever had a kid do this they think that you're their dad and and so she starts grabbing my knees you know just as kind of a a comfort thing and I'm like well this is awkward Hey, sis, <gasps> right? Mistakes happen, mistakes happen. Did you know that mistakes, Even listen, even if we uh, intend good and, and, and have all the right motives, um, because we are racked by sin and we live in a broken world, our best intentions can still turn out to negative ends. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? I don't know if it's crazy to you, but it would be so great if we lived in a mistake free world. Fewer car accidents. Uh, You know, people mostly get into car accidents not because they're trying to hit the other car, but because something distracted them or they dropped their phone or their coffee spilled. And sometimes these little mistakes lead to horrible consequences. feel like my life is one big southwest want to get away commercial. <laughs> we're in good company. Uh, there's lots of mistakes in the Bible. In fact, one of the reasons that I think you can believe the Bible and our scriptures above any of the other scriptures is that all the other scriptures kind of paint this rosy picture of their heroes. They don't report the mistakes, but the Bible is full of people making mistakes. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. Do you think Adam and Eve woke up the morning of the first sin and said, you know what, we're going to sin today. Let's do this. I mean, that tree has just been staring me in the face. i got to eat that thing. No, they they were just minding their own business, doing a day in Eden, and Satan in the form of a snake comes up and tells them a bunch of mess, and and one thing leads to another, and sure, their appetites and their curiosity and their desire to have power, those those worked into it, but, but ultimately two good people made a bad mistake, and here we are. You go through the rest of the scriptures, you get the guys like Abraham and his wife Sarah who were told by God that they were going to have a child, but it got late, the clock was ticking. And they concocted this plan to get this handmaiden, this servant of theirs called Hagar, to be the the, the substitute, the baby carrier. And they birthed an Ishmael. And even though they intended to do something good, they in their desperation and lack of faith, made a mistake. Jacob, uh, a couple generations later, Jacob's hanging out, the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. And, um, he wants to marry this beautiful girl, Rachel, and he works, toils for years so that he can finally have the right to do it, and then he doesn't check under the veil on the wedding night. And his father-in-law, uh, you know, read it, it's in there. Uh, he wanted to marry his first daughter, Leah, and that's who Jacob got, and he had to end up working. And so in haste, in lack of detail orientation, who's got that curse? Anybody got that curse? Jacob, marries the wrong woman. You go to the New Testament. You got uh, my favorite character in the New Testament. We're going to have that as one of our questions for our after party. Who's, besides Jesus, who's your favorite character? But my favorite character in the New Testament is this guy, Peter, because I identify him with the most. Uh, he is uh, you know, sterling and brilliant in moments. And then just, what are you doing, Pete at other times. You know what I'm talking about? Pete was this guy who was always act first, think later. He was the guy who, uh, uh, when Jesus said I have to go and give myself as a sacrifice, Peter said, "No, no, that's not gonna happen. Over my dead body, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. But do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He had already given him his name, Peter Rock, but for this one occasion, he changed his moniker and he says, you know what, Pete, get behind me satan pete's like oh i did it again that was a mistake the night finally comes he's had all of these signs from his savior that he just needs to you know stay calm let it happen but then the soldiers come into the garden of gethsemane remember what peter does he's the only one who's taken for himself a weapon and he wields this little it's not even a sword sword it's like a machete it's not even a machete machete it's like a small and he, he walks up and and without a whole lot of training takes on a whole detail of soldiers the best he can do is swing and cut a guy's ear off and Jesus is like Pete 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 no this is supposed to happen I've been telling you this for three years and he takes the guy's ear and he puts it back on his head Even after after Jesus died, rose again, had all these great conversations with Pete post-resurrection, Pete goes and he's used on the day of Pentecost to preach the incredible message that drew thousands to the first church on its first day. He's a leader in the early church. He's he's being used of God to heal people left and right in the book of Acts. Acts. And he even meets with Paul in Acts chapter 15. We started to study this a couple summers ago. He meets with Paul and they make this, this agreement, this pact between the Christians in, in Jerusalem and the Christians that Paul is, is seeing converted in Gentile regions. And they say, Yep, yeah, uh, the Gentiles have a right to the same Savior that we do. Does all of that. And then you read the book of Galatians, which I'm studying with my life group. And, and Paul. Uh, has to come back to his home church in a Gentile region up in Syria called Antioch. And, And Peter's been visiting, and while Peter's been visiting, even though he's laid all this groundwork for Jews and Gentiles to be the same, Peter, because he is being pressured by a group who believe that Gentiles and Jews are not the same, refuses to eat with Gentile Christians at the church of Antioch. And Paul, the character we're gonna study today, barges in on the proceedings, and he dresses down the apostle Peter, Paul's my second favorite character in the Bible, fiery. And he says, how can you be doing this? You said yourself that this should not be. He calls him a hypocrite. And once again, Peter's caught in one of his mistakes. Now, if the apostles of the early church were prone, how much more so are you and I? I mean, we can have the best intentions And still make the biggest mistakes. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what God does in the midst of our mistakes. Let's pick up the story here. I'm going to start reading at the end of Acts chapter 22. And then we're going to study most of Acts chapter 23 with the rest of our time. On the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he... Unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to the uh, to meet, and uh, he brought Paul down and set him before them. Now, this we're just dropping right into a a section of 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 a story that needs some background. Uh, uh, The he here is is a a Roman police chief. He was called a tribune, and uh, he had just arrested Paul, uh, and 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 he was setting up basically a, a court appearance before the Jewish court called the Sanhedrin. Now. Real quick, here's, here's kind of where we left off. Paul has uh, decided that God, well, he hasn't decided, God has told him that he uh, is going to Jerusalem, and so he, in obedience, he's heading to Jerusalem. Paul's not popular in Jerusalem. And along the way, he's actually, um, you know, just pleaded with by those who loved him, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, it's not gonna end well. But he says, listen, it doesn't matter if they imprison me, if they beat me up, if they kill me, I'm still gonna do what God's called me to do, there's... Something for us to learn there. But he ends up in Jerusalem, and and, uh, he he enters the temple one day, about a chapter before this, and and he's just, you know, uh, hanging out. And somebody in the temple says, hey, that's Paul. And and Paul has been teaching this false truth, this this gospel of the Christian way. And, And not only that, he's been bringing Gentiles into our temple, which wasn't true. Fake news has been around for a long time. But that was all it took for the jews there in the temple to riot and riot they did they hauled paul outside the temple gates so they could throw rocks at him until he died or until he died because he was apostate he was a blasphemer the romans hear about it the romans just i'm skipping through a bunch of stuff here but the romans come quickly and they rescue paul they take him to the barracks paul paul he, he was there to share the gospel And so Paul asked his captors, the Romans, if he could address the mob, which was trying to kill him, you know, hours before, if he could say a few words. And so Paul stands on the steps of the barracks, and he starts to tell his story. He explains how he used to persecute the church, but then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and now he's part of the church. And they're listening. This is the amazing thing. Everybody's listening and paying attention as Paul eloquently describes the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's doing smashingly well until he gets to the part where he says, and then I was sent to share this with the Gentiles and the Jews who were not fans of the Gentiles. Remember the cause of the original riot? Gentile in the temple? They just lost it all over again. And they pressed towards uh, the barracks and the Romans had to fend them off. Well, this ticked off the uh, tribune, the, the, the police chief. And so he says, we're gonna flog this guy. And so they get ready to flog Paul to maybe, you know, beat the real truth out of him. And Paul uh, pauses and says, hey, is it lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen? And they said, well, no. He said, well, I am one. And so fast forward now to where we are. No flogging, but we are going to start a series of four trials that Paul's going to go through uh, to defend himself against his accusers for blasphemy in the Jewish faith. We're going to find uh, that everyone, even Paul, makes mistakes. Look what it says in Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Paul is here before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is basically a collection of the, the high priest, the chief priest. Uh, it's, it's all of the, uh, the, the, the religious uh, upper crust, and, and several of the, uh, I guess the chamber is probably not a good, but, but it's, it's kind of the, they're, they don't have real political power because the Romans are in charge, but these are the Jewish. Congress, Senate, whatever you want to call it, who, who basically uh, hear, the, hear the court cases of the Jews there in Jerusalem. And he looked intently at the Sanhedrin at the council and he said this, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Good opener. I don't have any pangs of guilt for the ways that I've lived. Uh, but this ticks off the chief priests because in the next verse we see uh, the high priest Ananias who was in charge of this uh, affair, commanded someone who was standing next to him to strike him on the mouth because Ananias was convinced of Paul's guilt. He's a blasphemer. You can't possibly be standing there with good conscience for what you've done because you're guilty. Now, Paul reacts to this pop in the mouth just like many of you and I would. Paul says to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. I think that's exactly how he said it. He's mad. He's been hit in the face again. But in this particular instance, he's been hit in the face in a court of the Sanhedrin. And it was illegal in the, in the law of Moses for another Jew to strike another Jew in that kind of setting. He calls them a whitewashed wall. This is a reference to the tombs of the day. They would take these tombs that people were buried in in Israel, and they would paint them white on the outside. I used to think it was just so they could beautify something that was kind of ugly and nasty looking, but you know what it was really for? It was, it was like us p- uh, putting yellow on the speed bumps so that you know where those are, when you slow your car down. Has anybody noticed? I, I come up, uh, I don't know which road it is, but it's right by an elementary school over there, off of, and, and, and the speed bumps are in the shade of the trees, and I don't see them, and it's like, ha. Anybody been on those, you know? And so uh, they, they've painted white lines on these things to make them more visible. The same thing that they did with the tombs back then. Why? Because if you were Jewish and you touched something that contained something that was dead, you were ceremonially unclean. It was like a a, a flashing light. Don't go here. And so Paul turns to the person who struck him, probably, uh, maybe not knowing who had commanded, he, he, he figured someone had called for the smack, and so he says to both, he says, you guys, you're whitewashed walls, you're like dead, you, you look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Are you sitting in judgment of me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be uh, struck like this? Verse four, uh, someone responds to Paul, those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? They didn't comment on the fact that they had illegally struck Paul. They just said, how can you possibly speak ill of the high priest? And look what Paul does. Paul doesn't go on with the same stuff. Yeah, he's the one I called the whitewashed wall. Let him come in here, you know, hit me to my face. Anyway, he doesn't do that. And Paul says, oh, I did not know, brother. Again with the brother thing. Uh, that he was a high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. That's in Exodus 22, verse 28. That's actually in the law. You, You weren't allowed to speak evil of someone, even if they were evil, which Ananias was, you weren't allowed to speak evil of it. And so Paul admits his mistake. He says there. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. How, why, why could he not have known? Well, maybe uh, Ananias. Uh, he didn't run, recognize Ananias, or uh, you know, maybe Ananias, uh, uh, you know, hadn't had been made clear to him. It had been made clear to Paul that he was the chief priest. So. Um, or, or, or maybe Ananias wasn't wearing his chief priestly garb it was kind of a hastily convened court maybe he was just kind of wearing his you know, work clothes or maybe Ananias listen, you you ever read at the, at the end of the book of Galatians Paul says this at the end of the book of Galatians see with what large letters I write most scholars think that Paul had a, had a very bad uh, seeing problem and, and he didn't have the corrective lenses that you and I have and so maybe he just couldn't see him here's my theory he'd been beat up so bad the other day 24 hours earlier, that his eyes were puffed and they were kind of swollen shut. But whatever the case, I believe him when he says, he's not being facetious, he's saying, oh, I really didn't know that that was the high priest. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Perhaps some scholars posit his greatest mistake is that he didn't emulate Jesus as he went through his trials in the same way that Jesus acted in, in his uh, afflictions. Uh, Peter talks about Jesus' A handling of uh, abuse and an accusation when he says in uh, his letter his first letter uh, when jesus was reviled he did not revile in return and when he suffered he did not threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly this is what the sermon's about but just so you know if you're ever offended or if you've ever accused um you have you know Paul invoked the fact that he was a Roman citizen. You have, you have a, uh, you know, a margin where you can defend yourself. But but ultimately, what what <laughs> what does the Bible say about vengeance? It's not mine. It's the Lord's, right? And I'll trust Him to take care of me. And all the yelling and screaming and briefs and and you know all of the appeals uh, that you can make, I mean, you know, I think you can make those, but ultimately, your faith needs to reside. And maybe that's what Paul's chief infraction was. He reacted hastily and angrily. And he wasn't exemplifying the character of his Savior. But he made a mistake. And then as, as want to happen, <laughs> he made another mistake on top of that mistake. One mistake, is this true in your life? One mistake often leads to another. So you make the first boo-boo, and then you try to compensate for this thing that you never meant to happen, by saying this set of words or by, you know, uh, uh, you know doing th- these actions. And those actions just made things worse. It's like throwing water on a grease fire. Your first thought is when you're, you know, the pan of, uh, you know, frying grease is, is on fire on your stove, get a cup of water. And th- but what does that do? Anybody know? Fireman? It just burns your kitchen down. So I get your intent, but sometimes one mistake leads to another. So Paul's in the middle of this, and there's been this first mistake. So when Paul perceived that one part of the crowd were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, now these are the two main groups of uh, uh, religious division in the Jewish faith. Uh, Sadducees were kind of the more materialistic. Uh, they were more of the, the upper crust. Uh, they weren't as religious. They were more just kind of um, uh, Jewish by birth, didn't believe all the same uh, or all the things that are, were taught in the Scriptures uh, the Pharisees, on the other hand, were students of the law, and they, they memorized the law and kept the law. They were the, uh, you know, the eagle scouts of the Jewish faith. And so both were represented there. I, th- I kind of picture them, Sadducees on this side, Pharisees on this side, you know, kind of like a junior high dance, girls over here, boys over here. At least it was when I was a kid. And, uh, and, and so he, he notices this division, and, and he decides uh, that he's going to use what he sees in his crowd uh, to kind of set up what he wants to say. He's still intent on sharing the gospel and so he wants to bridge into the gospel by talking about resurrection let's see what he says he says uh he cried out in the council brothers again with the brothers he's trying to unify this divided group with himself he says i'm a pharisee a son of pharisees it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that i am on trial everybody see how that's set up You call me, you know, a a blasphemer, but I'm I'm just here to tell you about what our hope is in this resurrection that I believe in, in my Savior, Jesus Christ. He's just trying to, it's his opener for his sermon, but look what happens. When he had said this, a, a dissension rose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided like even more than it was before. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And it says, Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? Which just made the Sadducees even madder because they didn't believe in spirits or angels? And so here's what happened next. When the dissension became violent, somebody notice this in your Bibles? Like it was (laughs) a pressure cooker all the time. I mean, everything was about to jump off at any minute. And so it does. Here in the highest court in Israel, uh, people start fighting over their theology, even as they're trying to agree on what to do with this uh, blasphemer, Paul. Uh, When the dissension became violent, the the, the police officer, the tribune, uh, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them the Sadducees were so mad that they were trying to kill Paul. The Pharisees were now defenders of Paul and they were punching the Sadducees as they were trying to get to Paul. Is everybody picturing this? That would be like front page news if that happened in one of our courts, right? But this was like Tuesday, you know, in their system. <laughs> so the, the commander commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him back into the barracks. Uh, trial over. <laughs> we'll try again tomorrow. We're not doing this uh so 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 just to recap paul's gone to the temple caused a riot he's gone to the barracks caused a riot he's gone to court and he's caused a riot go paul right (laughs) i mean he's he's knocking it out and uh you might think well he you know he, he didn't mean to start this fight he was just but, but it was a mistake, and we know that because he actually identifies it as a mistake. If you read for it in your Bible, it's just another chapter, you're gonna see that in chapter 24, as he's recounting now this part of his testimony to Felix the governor, as we're gonna study next week, who lives in Caesarea, he's saying, listen, let these men who are still there accusing him of blasphemy, let, them, uh, let, let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before their council in Jerusalem. Other than this one thing, that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Paul admits in court, for the record, I shouldn't have said that stuff about the resurrection. That was explosive. <laughs> you know, things got out of hand. Now, I had no idea that it would escalate to that level, and I'm, I'm contrite, I'm sorry for those things happening. Uh, if I had a dollar for every time I did one of these in my life, right, made a mistake and then made the greater mistake that made that first mistake even worse, did it Friday night. I was driving with my wife to our date that evening. And uh, there's just a, a rule in our relationship for the last 27 years of our marriage. If she's talking from her heart, and even if she's not, but if, if she's talking, just don't, don't look at a screen, Mark. It's going to be better for you if you don't. So if we're, you know, at a restaurant or something like that, I position myself so I can't see screens. If the TV's on and she comes in and she wants to talk, I uh, turn it off or pause it. DVRs are beautiful. Is anybody with me on this? Yeah. But I've learned that, you know, it's just going to be better for us in our relationship if I pay attention to her. She's communicating with me. So we got to this light by our house and I needed to, um, I perceived that I needed to uh, look something up on my phone so that we could have a more successful date. So I started tapping on my phone, uh, Googling some things and, uh, and listening to her all the while as she was talking about her day at work. And and uh, I noticed that her rate of speech kind of tapered. I was trying really really, you know, to be a good husband. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, honey. Oh, that's terrible. I hate that girl too. I, you know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> she wouldn't say it, stuff like that. Uh, but, but finally she just stopped talking. And couples, you know when the other one stops talking, what's coming next? We're gonna have a disagreement. And so I turned to her and I, I did what, what do husbands do in these moments? What, anybody do that one? All innocent like, what? Here's my justification, I was at a light. I wasn't texting and driving, which is another no-no, right? And, and I was still listening. I was reflecting and I was repeating sentences back like i have been taught to do as a counselor, right? I was doing great. But she knew that she didn't have my full attention. And so uh, I launched into my defense. Here's why this is a crazy rule. I didn't put it in those words, but that's basically what I was saying. And I, you know, very emphatically and clearly explained why I was right. Anybody want to guess how that went? Well, eventually I got around to at the next light saying, yeah, I know I was wrong, I'm sorry. And we went on and had a great night, and we still love each other very much, just so we're clear. But that's what happens. You make a mistake, you try to cover it, and those mistakes just get bigger. So let's ask this question as we close this morning. What, what does God do in the wake of our mistakes? Well, there's two things that God does in the wake of our mistakes, uh, and sometimes it's a combo of the two. God either allows our mistakes Uh, to run their course in our lives, or he overcomes our mistakes and we never experience the repercussions, or sometimes he does both. He allows our mistakes uh, to visit those uh, uh, consequences on our lives, Uh, and then he delivers us from those things. In all cases, he wants us to learn from our mistakes because the only true mistake is the mistake that we learn nothing from. But if you think about it, that's just how he rolls. He tells stories, Jesus did, Uh, and called parables in the new testament and one of them is the prodigal son you remember what the prodigal father did once the prodigal son left what did he do nothing he just said okay son here's your inheritance i bet you he prayed for him if we parsed out the story there's probably lots of things that the father did but he didn't chase him he didn't try to rescue him he let him find his trough And it's only then and there as he experienced the consequences of his poor choices that this kid made his turnaround. He met him on the road as he got close to home, but the father just said, hey man, you've made that bed, go take a nap. Lie in it. Other times, as we study the Old Testament, God comes in and it's just unbelievable. We've been studying uh, the story of this guy, King Ahab, uh, in my other life group, and Uh, Ahab was one of the wickedest kings that Israel ever had, but in this chapter that we studied this past week, God sends Ahab favor in battle. He doesn't deserve it at all. I mean, you talk about grace. Everybody understands grace, right? Grace is God giving to us exactly the opposite of what we deserve, love and blessing and favor, when our choices and the mistakes that we've made should bring us pain and consequence and division from him. He does it over and over in the Bible, but sometimes he does both. Like in the book of Judges, if you ever read the book of Judges, most of the chapters in the book of Judges start like this And Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's just kind of a recap. Israel was stupid. Israel was wicked. Israel was willfully rebelling against God. And then usually what falls, and so God let them fall into the hands of the Marabites. For seven years they were captives, but then. Upon them, experiencing the consequent God who loved his children would not leave them where they were and he sent a judge, whether it was Deborah or Barack or not Obama, but or uh, Gideon or any of these other judges. They came in and so God lets them kinda taste the pain but rescues them all the same. If God is going to rescue us from our mistakes, how, how does he lead us from our mistakes? How does God lead us from our mistakes? Well, that's that's what Paul's story kind of spells out for us. In Paul's story, God starts by pointing Paul once again to His plan. Look what it says in verse eleven: the the riots are over. Paul sitting in his cell. And the following night, it says, "The Lord." This is speaking of uh, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. He comes and He stands by Paul. This is you gotta don't lose this in the in the quick reading of this. This isn't a messenger. This isn't an angel. This isn't a vision or a dream. This is Paul hanging out in his cell, and Jesus manifests himself right there. Not unlike what they experienced on the road to Damascus. Paul and Jesus have a one-on-one. And Jesus stands in the cell, and he says this. He says, in in Greek, it's the Greek word tharse. Everybody say tharse. But we translated that word in, in English to two words. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, briefly, so you must testify also in Rome. Jesus comes to Paul and he says, Paul, we're not done with you yet. We got so many more things for you to experience. And we look at this from the 2,000 years back. We know what happened with Paul. We've got the last six chapters of the book of Acts, right? But Paul's sitting in a jail cell and he doesn't know what's gonna happen next. He doesn't know if he's you know, finally you know, put the nail in the coffin, if the last mistake, his last mistake, was his last mistake, he doesn't know if he's just going to rot in this jail cell for the rest of his life, but Jesus comes to him and says, "No, Paul, we got so much more. You got to go. Uh, you know, you got you got two more trials, three more trials after this. You got to get on a boat and have it uh, shipwreck. You got to get into prison in Rome so you can write some of your finest stuff in the Epistles to the Philippians and some of your friends, Titus and Timothy. You you, you got to do that, and so." Just like you tried to testify about me here in Jerusalem, you're gonna get to do that in Rome, and we're not done with you yet. Tharse, take courage. The only only person in scripture to say that word is Jesus himself. Five times it appears in your Bibles, and Jesus says it every time. The first time he says it, someone's lowering a a paralytic into a a room, and Jesus looks at this guy, and he says to this uh, paralyzed man, take heart, son your sins are forgiven. Tharse, your sins are forgiven. A woman uh, later in the book of Matthew uh, walks up behind Jesus in a crowd, and and she's been suffering from a a, a hemorrhage for 12 years, and she she touches the back of Jesus' robe, and Jesus spins around and says, who touched me? And his disciples were like, seriously, we're getting mobbed right now. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. He's like, no, 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 someone touched me in faith, and I felt the power leave me. And he he finally, well, it's not, whenever Jesus says something like who or what, he's, he knows. He's just giving the people a chance to fess up. And so the woman does, and the woman uh, confesses that she's touched Jesus. And she's standing there healed, and he says to this woman, take heart, Tharse. take courage. Daughter, your faith has healed you. A little bit later in the book of Matthew, Jesus is uh, uh, off praying and the disciples to take a boat ride. The Disciples decide to go out and just kind of hang out, but a huge storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee, and, and these seasoned sailors are at, at the risk of drowning. And then, uh, to make things worse, they see someone walking on the water. So now they're not only afraid of dying, but there's, you know, the walking dead, or, you know, some zombie's going to come and eat them. I don't know. And, uh, but, you know, they're freaking out, and, and Jesus says to his disciples, Tharse, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. He says the same word here to, to Paul, but my favorite place where Jesus says Tharse is in the upper room. He's about to uh, be you know, taken captive himself, and he's going to be led to his crucifixion the next day. And He's teaching his disciples, and he talks to them about you know, the world that they're living in, and he says to his disciples, listen, John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm trying to bring you down. And I want you to have tranquility and hope. I want you to have peace. And he kind of summarizes all that he's saying by saying this. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. It's going to be hard. But, far Take courage. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Are you going through a, a tribulation, a trial, a difficult experience in your life? Have you made mistakes? And those mistakes have left you wondering, is this it? Have I finally done it? God may allow you to experience the consequences of your mistakes, because that's what you need to learn. God may rescue you from those consequences, and be very careful. Just because you uh, haven't gotten caught, it doesn't mean that God doesn't know you're sinning or making those mistakes. He totally knows. It's just in His grace, He hasn't let you pay for them yet. And let this be your warning from your pastor. that If you think you're gonna get away with it forever, you're not. It's just God's grace has allowed you to hopefully change your ways before the hammer comes down. But regardless, isn't it great to know that we have a God who will visit us in those hardest times and say, "Tharse, take courage. Now the rest of this story, for the sake of time, explains how God clears the path for us once he's affirmed us that he's not done with us yet. If you read the rest of the story, and I encourage you to do so, uh, but uh, for the sake of time, I'll just briefly explain it to you. Paul's sitting there in prison. This whole group of guys decides that they're going to get together and they're going to assassinate Paul. There's 40 of them. They take a vow to never eat again until Paul is dead. And so they get with the chief priests and the rest of the Sanhedrin. And they say, hey, listen, we need you to be a part of this so we can finally kill this guy. You need to summon the Romans and have them bring Paul back to the court so that while Paul's being brought to the court, we can, 40 of us, jump the soldiers, jump Paul, kill Paul. This will all be done. And we could go to Burger King because we'll finally be able to eat. It just so happens that Paul's nephew, it's in your Bibles. We never hear about Paul's family anywhere else except that when we just heard from Paul say that I'm the son of Pharisees. But there's no like, you know, Aunt Peg and, you know, there's just, there's no mention of Paul's family except in this story because Paul's nephew. And We can assume that when Paul switched teams, most of his family said, Heisman, you're not with us anymore. But for whatever reason, this nephew was sympathetic to Paul's cause. He hears about this plot. Doesn't tell us how. Walking along the road like in a movie or something. And he goes to the barracks, and he visits with Paul, which is a miracle too, because why would the Romans let anybody visit Paul? But they let this nephew in, maybe because he was a nephew. And Paul hears from the nephew about this plot, and Paul summons the guard, these Romans who don't care about the Jews, but he summons the and he says, listen, there's 40 guys. They're not going to eat until I'm dead, and they're going to attack me tomorrow as I'm heading to court. you got to do something about this. And probably because the Romans didn't want to lose Roman lives, those people guarding Paul, uh, he said, oh, we're not going to have that. And so he says, tomorrow, we're going to get 200 foot soldiers. We're going to get 70 horsemen. We're going to get 200 chariots. 470 guys are going to march Paul out of Jerusalem and head him up to Caesarea. Can you picture Paul and his horse? I mean, he's wearing the cuffs, right? But he is surrounded by nearly 500 Roman soldiers. And these 40 guys who haven't heard from the Sanhedrin that the, you know, the gig's up, this deal's off. They're all gathered, they've got their knives, they're ready to do their worst, and the door opens and here comes the entire Roman army. And Paul's sitting on his horse and being like, what, what, right? (laughs) Guess you guys are gonna be hungry. God has this incredible way in the midst of our trials, even if they've been caused by our mistakes, to make much of himself in his plans. (laughs) <laughs> this guy Fedorowski, he's a master pianist around the turn of the century. He was uh, performing in a great hall in America. And, uh, this mother who had uh, long wanted a son to be a, 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 a master pianist had, had forced her eight-year-old to start taking lessons, and the kid didn't want to do it at all. Who had piano lessons and didn't like them? Anybody? I, I went for like six months. You're going to see. Anyway, uh, they're sitting in this in this. It's concert hall and, and, and the, the master is preparing to come out and the huge grand piano is in the middle of the stage and, and this boy is fidgeting and he's having to wear a tux because it was one of these really muckety-muck things and his mom is high society and so she's off, you know, talking to everybody. And finally the boy's like, that's it. And he gets up from his chair and he walks up to the stage, he walks up to the piano and he sits down and he's just trying to, you know, do something fun and he sits down and he does this. Oh, that wasn't right. Uh, And he keeps messing up chopsticks. He's playing chopsticks poorly on the grand stage of this incredible music hall. On the first, his mom hears it. And she spins around, and she's like, whose kid is that on the stage? And to her horror, it's hers! And she tries to fight through the crowds to get to the stage and yank him off of there. The people in the crowd are, the the bombast, the you know, the nerve of that young child here at this great concert for Fedorovsky. As they were trying to hustle to the stage and get this kid off of here, as he continued to butcher chopsticks, Fedorovsky walked out from backstage. And he didn't even pause. He just walked up right behind the piano. And everybody in the crowd stopped. The kid didn't even notice him. And he kept <laughs> kept playing chopsticks. And the master pianist leans over this little boy and says, Keep going, buddy. You're doing great. And so the kid kept playing. And the uh, master put his hands on either side of this little boy. And he played the most beautiful, impromptu, amazing duet with this little kid messing up chopsticks. When they finished, the crowd stood in thunderous applause. The little boy took his seat, a hero. Not because he'd done anything great. He'd just been up there butchering chopsticks. Making mistake after mistake. But the master had come behind and he'd played a beautiful song. And he made everything all right. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. You go ahead and make your mistakes. You go ahead and butcher your chopsticks. But you serve a God who is in the business of coming behind us and making all things new. Will you stand with me as we're dismissed? Lord, thanks so much for the truth. Uh, of your scripture and how it just page after page it often rebukes us and reminds us of the things that we need to change but almost always it leaves us encouraged by the fact that even when we mess up even when we fail you still love us you're for us and not against us and so we, as, as we face whatever trials we're facing today god as we um, look to compensate for the mistakes that we all make may we remember god that um, you're in control And your sovereign plan cannot be thwarted by any man's mistakes, willfully or uh, unintentionally. Uh, You're going to see us through. Thanks for forgiving us. Thanks for your grace and mercy to us. Thanks for allowing us to experience sometimes the repercussions of our mistakes because those are the classrooms of life where we learn the things we need to learn. But Lord, uh, we are grateful to you for always pointing us Uh, into what's next, and then making it possible for us to meet you there. May we joyfully follow your lead as you make beautiful music through us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.